This episode is sponsored by Vulture, high-performance cloud compute, bare metal, and storage in 25 locations all over the world. Sign up and get $200 free credit to use in 30 days at getvultr.com slash ldt. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of Linux Downtime. I'm Joe. I'm Adam. And I'm Martin. Nice to talk to you both again. We had such a great time talking about Ubuntu Mate last time. I thought, let's talk about Fedora this time. Now, Adam, you use Fedora, and Martin and I use some form of Ubuntu. So I thought you should give us the sales pitch. Why do you use Fedora? What's so great about it? So I touched on a bit of this in a recent discussion we had around GNOME, but this is a a bit more general than that. There will be a bit of GNOME reference in there, And I've kind of taken a step back and thought, why did I settle on Fedora after doing years of the distro hopping thing that everybody who's anyone in Linux knows about? This is timely because there's a new Fedora release, right? There is. And actually, that ties into one of my points, which I I suppose we might as well start with. Fedora is occasionally delayed and doesn't hit its final target date for a new release. But there's a very good reason for that. And that's because there is a degree of polish that goes into every new release. And if there are blockers and those blockers are considered substantial enough, you won't get that Fedora release. Uh, The most recent one has been delayed at the time of recording because of a, I think the main blocker was a Wi-Fi bug uh, to do with the renegotiation. So a decision was made in a go-no-go meeting that said, nope, that's crucial enough that we're not going to go ahead with the release, and that's why it's delayed. And that is kind of the first point that I want to bring up, which is Fedora has this release schedule, and Fedora releases consistently good quality releases because it has this capacity to block a release if there is a problem. So it's not like a rolling release. You don't get the Arch or the OpenSUSE tumbleweed situation where everything is just constantly rolled out there is a degree of quality assurance that goes into a release. And that's the first thing that I that draws me to Fedora Linux. You look at Ubuntu, though, and if there are very serious blockers, then that can be delayed. It has always hit the day of release, I believe, but it has been quite late in the day sometimes, and they've really, really worked hard on that. I think the the one famous release that was obviously late was there was no 604, it was 606. But that was the f- very first LTS release of Ubuntu. So that clearly missed its, uh, you know, intended release window. With regards to release engineering within Ubuntu, the same mechanisms do exist. The release date is always set to be on a Thursday, but the release team assemble at the time the beta images are created and through that beta to final release period, any of those last minute bugs are identified and fixed. Now, having said that, there is a bug or there was a bug in the 2204 release of Ubuntu that some might consider like um, a release blocker where upgrading from 2004 to 2204 could fail in some cases because of a bug in, in uh, the negotiation between SnapD and Dbus. But that wasn't considered a release blocker because you could install the new release and complete the installation process. And what they did was block the upgrade mechanism until the bug fixes had landed. A sort of tangentially related point is the fact that the packages you get in Fedora Linux are typically way more up to date, he said, asterisk, than other distributions. And they're also quicker to adopt new technologies whilst also having that caveat of making sure that a release isn't breaking. So... Looking at obvious candidates like Wayland Pipewire, 
even ButterFS, because it does ship ButterFS actually by default. Those sorts of things do go in and do become part of the default release. So you can get the advantages, uh, you know, your own opinions on ButterFS notwithstanding, you can get the advantages of newer technology stacks without that worry that things are going to break. So I think that's the crux of my point is that you still get the advantage of the new shiny, but you know you get the polish of every release. I don't want to turn this into an Ubuntu versus Fedora debate, but I'm not seeing any significant difference in what you're describing about Fedora there as you see in Ubuntu, because Ubuntu puts out a new release every six months and includes all the latest stuff. Now, I realize there was a bit of a hiccup last year where the adoption of GNOME 41 didn't happen in a release. But generally speaking, Ubuntu just moves with the GNOME release schedule and all of the the latest kernel and everything else, and it all moves version by version. So if you followed the interim releases of Ubuntu, I don't think that's significantly different from Fedora. I think maybe Fedora's leans a little bit more into the wind of the bleeding edge than Ubuntu does. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, that Ubuntu is somewhat up-to-date, but it's generally not quite as up-to-date as Fedora. And you look at things like Pipewire, for example, that is supported in Ubuntu, but not to the extent that it is in Fedora now. So when I built my most recent computer, and I had the most recent CPU, the most recent chipset, the most recent NVMe drive, I could, with 99% confidence, go, I'm going to download the latest Fedora ISO, and it will just work. If there's a new kernel that's got a fix, then... Maybe I'll be a little bit behind, but I could confidently install that and know that things were going to work, which is something that historically I haven't had full confidence in Ubuntu, for example. Yeah, I've I've only experienced that once in Ubuntu, and that was the 18.10 release where AMD didn't release the firmware blobs in the Linux firmware package in a timely fashion to match the drivers that were in the kernel. So there was a disconnect for a couple of weeks um, at the start of that release where, you know, the, I know how people like to refer to, you know, the AMD providing open source drivers, but they're only open source for as long as those proprietary blobs are on the system that actually make it all go. So I've experienced that once. But, you know, when you're talking about things like Pipewire, for example, I'm not going to get into why Pipewire may, may not have been default in 2204. But putting aside things like sort of fundamental changes in the way the desktop is constructed, like Pipewire and the original introduction of Pulse Audio, Across the distributions, it's broadly speaking all the same stuff. They're not fundamentally different from one another. The version differential isn't a chasm when you look at, you know, Fedora's about to release and Ubuntu released um, two weeks ago as we record this. So I suppose my point is, what's the attraction specifically of Fedora when you consider that sort of all the stuff you interact with on the desktop is broadly the same across the distributions. So correct me if I'm wrong, but what's the upgrade lifecycle look like for the kernel and Mesa and things like that in the Ubuntu space? So when an LTS comes out, they go through two point releases. And on that second release, that's when you get a hardware enablement stack, which uplifts the kernel and the graphics stack and things of that nature. 
the kernel itself, although pinned to a version, there's a new kernel release every three weeks, which includes backported fixes and security, you know, updates and things of that nature. Well, that's on a Monday, isn't it? And it always makes me think, oh, it's been three weeks already when I have to reboot <laughs> yeah, my boxes. Exactly. Yeah. So I'd have to look more into what the backported fixes and things like that look like, because um, one of the things that does attract me to Fedora is the fact the kernel is relatively vanilla. And the fact that I can install 5.16 quite soon after it's come out, and the same is true for Mesa, I do quite a lot of gaming. So because I do that, I wanted a system that was not going to break on me, as I've had experiences with Arch breaking on me, but which still had relatively up-to-date stacks for things I care about, which in my case is, you know, a decent graphics stack, Mesa. I use an AMD GPU because I want less hassle. So I landed on Fedora for that reason. Those are good, sensible reasons that you can rationalize why it is that Fedora base suits your needs better than insert name of a another distro. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Collide. Go to K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash L-D-T to sign up today. Collide sends employees important, timely and relevant security recommendations for their Linux, Mac and Windows devices right inside Slack. Collide is perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point where they become unusable. Instead of frustrating your employees, Collide educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems. Collide helps deal with some of the many issues that are not solved by locking down devices, like instructing developers to set passphrases on unencrypted SSH keys, finding plain text two-factor backup codes and teaching end users how to store them securely, and convincing employees to uninstall evil browser extensions that may sell their browser history. You can try Collide with all its features on an unlimited number of devices, free for 14 days, no credit card required. Try it out at collide.com slash L-D-T. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash L-D-T bit of admin then first of all thank you everyone who supports us with paypal and patreon we really do appreciate that you can find out more at linuxdowntime.com support and for ten dollars or more per month on patreon you can get an advert free rss feed that includes this show linux after dark and late night linux and if you want to get in contact with us you can email show at linuxdowntime.com Whenever I did have to use Ubuntu or whenever I used Ubuntu for a brief period, I always found myself installing additional PPAs. Now, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with that. If something, it doesn't exist in your base system and you need, say, a more recent version of Mesa or you want to trap Mesa Git or something, maybe using a PPA is the way to go. But I haven't found myself needing to do that on Fedora as much. Mm. I did once when I was debugging a Mesa problem use a Mesa Git copper. It's called um, C-O-P-R cool other package repo on Fedora, where we do have this concept of additional repositories that you can add. But that was a brief inclusion for the sake of a week. And then I rolled my installation back to default and removed that repository. Whereas that hasn't been the experience I've had with Ubuntu. And what led to you needing a newer version of Mesa in the first place? I was really hoping you weren't going to ask me that question. <laughs> Is it gaming? It was gaming related, yes. I was. Uh, I think in that particular case, I was after, um, I think I was testing something to do with the ACO stuff that right. Valve had worked on. As I said, there have been instances where stuff hasn't worked quite right. And yes, I have had one breakage to do with Mesa, which was then reverted upstream and then published as an update through Fedora. So cards on the table. Yes, that broke once. Yeah. 
so I, I, I wasn't actually trying to pick holes in your argument. I would, I was genuinely interested. And the reason why is because sometimes there are games that come uh, by and large via, um, Steam and particularly in sort of the Proton world that do require specific versions of Mesa in order for all of the capabilities to be, or the, the compatibility to be there for a given title. So it is sometimes necessary to have newer Mesa. I've personally not encountered that, but that's because I almost exclusively have NVIDIA graphics cards and those drivers are routinely available and I just update when they come along. Who cares about freedom, eh? Well, I think a debate about AMD versus NVIDIA on Linux is maybe a conversation for another day. (laughs) But but what I was, what I was going to say is it's rare that people actually need to upgrade Mesa. And I do acknowledge that there is a requirement for it sometimes, but it's rare you actually need to do it. I think a lot of people do it because they want it because they want a bigger version number. But I think they're doing that in pursuit of, I want the newest stuff without actually understanding if they need the newest stuff or not. That is true. And as I said, the example I gave was because I was testing effectively alpha functionality because you Mm -hmm. want those two extra FPS when you're playing Counter-Strike Go when Counter-Strike Go isn't broken on Linux for arbitrary reasons. So to the NVIDIA point, Fedora has a reputation for not shipping non-open source software, which is correct. You don't get the uh, NVIDIA drivers in the default ISO images you might with, say, Pop! OS. But what you do have these days is a very easy toggle in the software center for both, I think there's a few now, but one of them is at the NVIDIA drivers repo uh, from RPM Fusion. Another one is PyCharm for those people that, for some inexplicable reason, like PyCharm. And I think Google Chrome is an option now as well. So while they're not enabled by default, if you need that functionality as a gamer, because you happen to have an NVIDIA card, for example, that is also there, mm-hmm. not out of the box, but it's one toggle away, which is certainly an improvement on where it was five, six years ago. Yeah, and I think that's a general improvement we're seeing all over the sort of desktop Linux landscape. It doesn't matter what your decisions might be about the hardware and software that you want to run, I think it's a better user experience to make sure that all users are well catered for and have a good experience. We've talked about the desktop, but what about on the server? Now, I'm really hoping you're not going to say to me that you run Fedora servers and instead you run something like Alma and uh, you know CentOS before it. But with Ubuntu, you can run the exact same base, at least, on your desktop machine as you can on servers and you're going to get five years of support if you stick with the LTSs. That is a huge reason to use Ubuntu for me. I have run Fedora on a server, never in a professional setting, never for a company. Typically, the servers that I do run, or at least the servers that I am responsible for, for my sins, are CentOS servers, Red Hat servers, things in the RPM family. Now, I, this is entirely anecdotal, and obviously your own experiences will differ, but in my experience, CentOS specifically is still one of the kings when it comes to enterprise and large company installations. And, <laughs> and I realize there'll be a lot of canonical people listening to this going, hang on a minute, I'm sure we've got support <laughs> contracts with big companies. But anecdotally, it's very nice when I've got an RPM-based distro in front of me and I've got an RPM distro on the server. No, I would not advocate running Fedora server 
Fedora hyphen server as a tin installation. However, that said, Fedora Core OS exists if you want a container-based distribution. There are, you know, moves into the immutable space, which immutability, specifically for hypervisors, is an area which is of particular interest to people, especially if you're in the Kubernetes field. So there are things in Fedora that aren't the default Fedora server installation. No offense to that team who are responsible for Fedora server, because I'm sure they do a very good job. I like the fact that it installs cockpit out of the box, even though many people probably don't. So no to Fedora server, but yes to an RPM based experience. And is that just because you're wearing your comfortable pair of slippers when you're in an RPM distribution? There is a hard to quantify discomfort that I experience when I'm sat in front of a Debian installation or an Ubuntu installation. Yes, it is familiarity because the first server distribution I ever interacted with was CentOS. You know, the first text editor I ever opened was VI. So I have a certain amount of affinity for those. But that being said, I think that some things about, this isn't a conversation about Red Hat or CentOS, but I think some things about the way those distributions do things like package management sits better with me than apps does, for example. Along my journey to, you know, where I got to, I they did for a spell run what was Red Hat, you know, before there was the whole distinction between Fedora and Rail and all the rest of it. And it was just Red Hat Linux. I did run that for some years on very esoteric hardware, but I didn't find moving between the different distributions and the package managers to really sort of be a definition of like what my Linux experience was. It never, it never felt like important to me as to what was installing the packages under the hood, with the exception of Slackware that I moved away from very specifically because of the package manager or in those days lack thereof it's definitely a comfort thing there's no beyond the fact that you know that the ansible rpm module is going to behave the same there are very few tangible areas that i can point to and say this is why it's better but again this isn't a conversation necessarily about centos or red hat but i do think that rpm based familiarity is nice for the people that have been exposed to that but what about my argument that it's nice to have the same operating system on the desktop machine you're SSHing out of and the server that you're SSHing into? How similar are Fedora and RHEL or CentOS or Armor or whatever? So there's an entire podcast topic in Alma, Rocky, CentOS, CentOS Stream, Red Hat, and Fedora. However, I will say that Fedora being positioned where it is, which is not necessarily the upstream of Red Hat, although ultimately decisions that are made in Fedora might filter down to Red Hat. It's been pointed out recently that if you want to make, if your company wants something in Red Hat Enterprise Linux, one of the best ways to get it in there is to contribute to CentOS Stream. You can also contribute to Fedora, but it might be five, six, seven, ten years down the line before that filters in. Right. That said, because Fedora does have things like SE Linux, because Fedora has DNF, because there are things that are now in Fedora today on my laptop site in front of me that will be on the server six years from now, I can look like that guy that knows what he's talking about when I SSH onto something and go, ha, it's a Unix system. I know this. <laughs> yeah. So are there any other defining characteristics of Fedora that appeal to you? Yeah. Okay. So flat packs by default is a big one. Time to get spicy in this conversation. I don't like snaps. There are some very superficial reasons for that, which have been covered in depth on other podcasts. 
a really fundamental one for me is I don't like the fact that the S is lowercase in my home directory for snaps. That winds me up something proper. The fact that I have Fedora flat packs available to me and Flathub as a fairly out-of-the-box experience. Flathub admittedly still needs to be enabled, but you do have flat packs in the upstream Fedora repo, for example. And that integration is just there. You know, GNOME software understands flat packs really, really well. And Silverblue is a potential future at the time of recording. So this level of packaging, this different paradigm might become the norm. Yep. That appeals to me on a on a level because I appreciate flat packs more than snaps. Again, this is entirely personal opinion and your opinion may differ. Because of that appeal, Fedora sits very comfortably for me, being able to install it and go, cool. It's just there out of the box. Yeah. Now if we were having a conversation specifically about Fedora Blue, I would get all kinds of animated and enthusiastic about it. And in fact, I did. I did a live stream uh, with George Castro. Oh, you can't shut him up about it. <laughs> so this was before this was before he got like more involved in Flatpak. I think it was just at the point he was getting involved. And uh, we did a live stream together looking at Fedora Silver Blue and, you know, what the future of the Linux desktop is going to look like. So, you know, Adam was saying there, perhaps this is, you know, where it's going. I think it's inevitable this is where it's going to go. This merging of the container technology worlds and desktop Linux is absolutely positively going to happen. And Silver Blue have made great strides or the Fedora project with the silver blue option have made great strides in, in making that a reality. Yeah. And I mean, I run workstation now, but I could easily see myself running silver blue next year, the year after Mm -hmm. it's mostly apathy that has left me running workstation today, but I could easily see that changing in the future. Okay. This episode is sponsored by Vulture. Go to getvulture.com slash LDT to sign up and get $200 free credit to use in 30 days. Vulture offers high-performance cloud compute, bare metal, and storage in 25 locations all over the world. You can pick from 12 operating systems, including Windows, or you can bring your own ISO. Vulture's Marketplace offers one-click installation of more than 50 applications and operating systems, including Minecraft and other game servers, VoIP and VPN platforms, content management systems like WordPress, and cPanel. Also check out their optimized plans, CPU, memory, and storage optimized instances featuring the latest AMD Epic chips. So go to getvulture.com LDT to get your $200 credit and support the show. That's G-E-T-V-U-L-T-R dot L-D-T. Now, Adam, at risk of doing your job for you here, this is what you should have said to start with, is that Fedora is the future. Whether it is pipe wire or pulse first, whether it's something like silver blue, Ubuntu does the present really well, like really, really well as far as I'm concerned as a base, whether you're going to use GNOME or XFCE or Plasma or just run it headless as a server, it does right now amazingly. But what Fedora offers is a glimpse of the future. Like you said, on a rail server in five years, you're going to have what you've got now on the Fedora desktop. And so if you are an enthusiastic, highly technical user, Fedora is a chance to live the future. And I would say Fedora is not the only way to live the future. I think if you specifically look at Silver Blue 
and this sort of immutable future with containerized application delivery. You're going to talk about Nix, aren't you? I am. I'm going to say that Nix OS is right there, right there as a viable option that gives you, you know, another good stare into the future. Thank you for doing my job for me. I do genuinely appreciate that. Um, <laughs> There is there is a very nice XFCE build of uh, Fedora. Fedora uses spins. I've been talking extensively about the default workstation, but there is a KDE build, which is very nice. There's there's a Mate build. I think it's actually mixed with Compass from memory, but there is a Mate build. There are options for people if you don't like the vanilla experience, the default experience, the home of GNOME experience, you can choose something else. And the Mate spin is uh, Mate plus Compids, and that's um, put together by Wolfgang Ulbrick, who's one of the upstream Mate developers, and he works exclusively inside the Fedora project in terms of how he delivers his vision of what Mate desktop might be in the same way that I do on Ubuntu. There's one other point as well, which is the fact that obviously Fedora is a community project. Yes, its biggest sponsor is Red Hat. Matthew Miller, who runs the project at the moment, is a Red Hat employee. Uh, I think something like 30%, 40% of the contributions are from Red Hat employees. But fundamentally, there is a full transparency there. If you want to go and idle in the IRC rooms and watch the meetings, you can do that. If you want to contribute via the mailing list, you can do that. If you want to volunteer your time, you can do that. I think there is an inescapable trend in the Linux world that some of the best distributions are backed by companies. You know, your opinions on that might differ, but I think that's certainly the case right now. And I think Fedora has good balance of community involvement versus corporate stewardship. And I, I, I like that about Fedora projects as a whole. Hmm. I think it's true what you were saying there about, you know, the best distributions having like a commercial sponsor, because even some of those popular distributions, they can't exist without the backing of the commercial sponsors of their in-air quotes upstreams. But then you look at Debian, Arch, both great distros at totally opposite ends of the spectrum and are totally community run. Yeah, and those are the the two large holes that you can shoot in the statement that I've just made for sure, (laughs) yes. They are. Uh, The last point I was going to make actually relates to that because you mentioned Debian, and I think Ubuntu sometimes is hamstrung by Debian. Again, there have been historic examples of Ubuntu disagreeing with Upstream very politely and in a very measured fashion, but there have been disagreements with Upstream, uh, notably around Upstart, for example. And I think Fedora doesn't suffer from that because Fedora is the Upstream. Fedora doesn't have to worry about keeping track with uh, some other mythical distribution behind the scenes or worrying about the LTS release of a kernel landing in the most recent version of an Upstream distribution because Fedora is the stuff starting point for all of this stuff and joe mentioned the fact that you get new things and if you like new things and you like tinkering then fedora is the place for you yeah and i think where fedora differs from arch is that fedora is the finished article it is a distribution that you can install and use as opposed to arch being a diy kit of parts that you assemble together with no screwdrivers and missing instructions Yeah, and I daily drove Arch for a couple of years um, before I landed on Fedora. The thing that ultimately put me off Arch was you could do too much. You know, I installed NF tables back when NF tables was the new thing. And as a result of that, a bunch of stuff doesn't work. And that's not necessarily a negative to Arch. It's just it has, like you say, it's got a toolbox. And occasionally you want to glue your hammer to your stapler for no real reason. And you can do that. 
Yeah, it's a fantastic platform to learn on for sure. But when people say I run Arch Linux, what needs to be understood is nobody has run ever running the same Arch Linux. Everybody's Arch Linux is their own remix of Arch Linux based on their own preferences for software and how it's configured. So it's a nightmare to debug. Which is definitely where Fedora has the upper hand, in my humble opinion. Indeed. But that's what's so great about Arch is you can make it whatever you want and it's yeah. the latest of everything. And and it serves a really important purpose. It's not for me, much like Fedora isn't for me. And Fedora serves an important purpose as well. But that's what makes Linux so great is that there's something for everyone. Whether you want to be really small C conservative and go with something like Debian or you want something a little bit more up-to-date, like Ubuntu, or you want to push it beyond that with Fedora, or you want to go mad with Arch, there's something for everyone. Yeah, I'd subscribe to that theory. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. I think we had fun again, so maybe we should have another chat next time. Yeah, why not? But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Adam. And I've been Martin. See you later. <laughs>